0: So good afternoon, everybody, on our first full day of practice together. I'm going to talk a little bit about compassion uh, as a mind quality and compassion meditation practice and then we'll do some practice together. Wondering first, for whom might a compassion meditation practice be new? Are you doing compassion meditation in a formal way for the first time? Okay, so maybe a little less than half. So compassion practice uh, is one of the four Brahma Viharas. So to to give you that sense of placement or organization within uh, the Pali canon, we have the four Brahma Viharas um, or divine abodes or um, supreme mind states. Mind states and experiences um, that um, that are very lofty, that are sought after and considered uh, both serene and uh, practical, like highly, highly functional states. One uh, noted teacher and scholar said that they are the appropriate ways to respond to the challenges of a relational life. And these four Brahma-viharas are metta, or loving-kindness, Karuna or compassion, which again we'll spend some time exploring this weekend. Uh, mudita, which is joy. And uh, Upeka, which is equanimity, a mind that is balanced and stable. So these are uh, excellent, uh, or as I said, lofty. Mind states, excellent or lofty mind states. And uh, they are in the Pali, satasu sama patipati. Satasu sama pati They are a right or ideal way of relating, a right or ideal way of relating to ourselves or to other people. So there is a hierarchy presented in these teachings. And we have on the, the low end of the worthy scale, uh, greed, hatred, delusion, selfishness, jealousy, these kind of mind states that hinder the development of uh, wisdom, kindness, compassion, uh, those that would further the possibility of, of liberation. And then we have the, we have the fruits when, when we're able to Uh, when we're able to cultivate the mind such that the mind starts to turn towards something else, we have what are described as the fruits of practice. And those would be the four Brahma Baharas, (coughs) plus wisdom itself, plus things like patience, generosity, paramitas, the perfections, um, factors of awakening, etc., 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 So compassion means to relate to pain and suffering in a constructive or skillful way. And compassion's stance, if you will, is one of not turning away. So while kindness, and I mentioned this last night, we've done in our community uh, and, and in many Buddhist communities, we've done uh, so so much metta practice, loving kindness, that we do have a good sense of of metta. So to to consider both kindness and compassion together, if metta if metta is to recognize the inherent goodness in all beings, compassion might be based on that, the genuine interest in extending well wishes or care uh, to the pain or suffering of those people, all of them, ideally without exclusion. That would be the the highest goal, without exclusion. So if, in a sense, if non-harming is the start of the spiritual life. And we see that this in in many traditions. We see in Christianity. We see it in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. We see it in the the Buddhist tradition. If non-harm is the start of the spiritual life, then compassion would be evidence of its maturation. It is said of the Buddha that it was through compassion that he became the world's helper. I love that notion. This is new to me. I, I just came across this recently. It is said that through compassion, the Buddha became the world's helper. So through insight meditation practice, through the practice of the four foundations of Mindfulness that uh, many of you practice regularly and that Booker introduced us to and provided instructions for this morning, through insight practice, we essentially study the nature of the mind and we study suffering, its causes, explicitly. And through compassion, we help alleviate suffering and disrupt its causes. So we have a a certain kind of investigation and study and knowledge that come through (coughs) inside practice. And then there's an application of that in our lives. Um, And when that application appears to uh, stop, disrupt, or reduce, or alleviate suffering, we can say that compassion is present. The Buddha was also very quick to admonish uh, at least his closest students who neglected to care for six Sangha members. There are, there are numerous stories about this where uh, he, would, he would essentially catch the monks uh, doing, uh, often doing their own meditation practice. Um, Or studying, or you know, (laughs) recitations, or something, and he would say, "Hey, what's up?" You know, Sally or Fred over there is really sick, and it doesn't look like anyone's brought them water, brought them clean robes, or you know, given them a bath. You know, and he would gather them and sit them down and and say, "Look, like you know, you're, you know, this is this is not right." Actually, like we have to now at this point, that person is sick. We have to, we have to, someone at least has to turn their attention to them. So, when I, when I think about these stories, at least in my view, what I hear the, the Buddha saying is that their path was incomplete, their, their wisdom undeveloped if they didn't demonstrate a readiness to care for others, right? It's like, we need to care for others when they need to be cared for, right? And one of the ways we prepare for that capacity to see and have the willingness and capacity to respond is that we cultivate things like metta and karuna, kindness and compassion. We we do that deliberately. when we're protected and safe enough to do so um, and so that the mind is ripe for the occasion, it can act or respond appropriately. However, and I'll talk more about this tomorrow, but I wanted to say that I also think it's um, both a mistake and a limitation to view compassion as a mind state and compassion meditation as a practice to be exclusively about other people. One reason for that is I think that self-compassion plays an important role um, in the world we live in and for many of us as individuals. Another reason is that I think cultivating and experiencing compassion Brings into focus certain questions that challenge some of the ideas we have, (coughs) some of the ideas we have about how important we are. And it challenges questions which expose the true nature of the self. It begins to highlight this subtle teaching of anatta, not self, that is central to awakening in the Buddhist tradition. Thirdly, compassion both arises out of and fosters an understanding of the universal. Compassion both arises out of and fosters an understanding of the universal. There is a sameness, there is a sameness found in the fact of human suffering even when when how and why we suffer differs. (coughs) So compassion practice helps us expand, open, flex our own mind. And this relieves us from persistent and often very a very tiring kind of self-focus. And, and, and this more receptive and less fearful mind is more prone to renounce the habits that perpetuate our own suffering. <coughs> Practicing compassion toward others helps us turn our attention away from the self even as we study it. In this case, compassion then can be seen as a great antidote to the self-craving that is said in the Four Noble Truths to underlie dukkha. Right? So I'd like to share with you a practice that I first shared on the East Coast retreat. I'm, I'm not good with timelines. Two or three years ago, uh, as a as a kindness practice, as a meta practice, and a friend, a teaching colleague and friend came up afterwards, and he said. Um, he shared his thoughts about the, about the practice, what he thought was, was useful about it. And he said, but I don't think it's a kindness practice. I think it's a compassion practice. And I went back and I listened to it and um, decided that he was right. And so I've been working with the practice over the past couple of years. And it's, I've changed it several times. And some of you have already done it with me. And the phrases that I'll share with you, or remind you of, if you've done this practice before, um, they can be done uh, for others and for ourselves. There's a little bit of change that needs to happen. And uh, this afternoon, and we'll kind of see where the weekend goes, but this afternoon, I'd like to at least start uh, by orienting uh, this idea and possibility of compassion Toward others. Um, the, this is how the, the Buddha started teaching compassion um, toward others. So like other uh, Brahma vihara practices, um, we're working with, we're working with phrases and, and I tend to use very, very short phrases. I usually use only three and I just repeat them a lot, and sometimes I elaborate a little bit, but there's three core phrases that will, will probably be easier, that will probably be fairly easy to memorize. And so I will, I will give you the phrases multiple times and then I'll probably offer some silence and you can just sit with the words or with any feelings that are coming up in response to the words. Okay. If at any time the practice feels like – and I'm not suggesting this is going to happen, but if for any reason uh, the practice brings up a particular kind of sensitivity that feels unnecessary or unhelpful or unusually difficult, my recommendation would be to open your eyes if your eyes are closed. You might turn your attention away from the phrases just kind of look around the room a little bit, maybe notice your breath. You can look at one of the fires, and just let the attention move away from the, the phrases and, and move away from uh, what is evoked by the feelings. That's not the instruction for when you start to have feelings, if you were to, but rather, like I said, if there's a, a sensitivity that such that uh, what you're experiencing feels unnecessary or unhelpful or problematic in some way. You don't have to endure that in this practice. You can, um, again, move, the, uh, move your attention away from the phrases. And you can come back to it if you want to. So um, go ahead and, and take a posture that feels comfortable. and close your eyes if you're comfortable with your eyes closed. Taking a moment to move the attention away from hearing the teachings and becoming aware again of your own bodily experience. Perhaps, noticing any lingering sensations or energy from the movement practice. Noticing temperature, either heat or coolness. Perhaps becoming aware of the breath, however the body is breathing, no special breath required. Just noticing the current breath, how it is right now. So this compassion practice is an empathic care directed toward aspects of pain, suffering, and distress. And when we do this kind of practice, we renounce the parts of us that turn away from what is unwanted or uncomfortable. My belief is that Dharma practice trains us in the act or action of care. Care is the provision of what is necessary for the health, welfare and protection of someone. And as you sit here noticing and staying connected to the body, I'd like to invite you to consider as you expand your attention out amongst all of your communities, if not the whole world, Reflecting on people and places of obvious distress. When I was in my room thinking about this period of practice, I thought about all the refugees without home trying to get from one place to another. This is just one example. I don't know what it's like to be a refugee, but I imagine that uh, there are many elements, perhaps more elements that I could fathom, that are difficult, distressful, uh, beyond worrisome. Many uh, refugees have lost their citizenship. It has either been revoked or, through some uh, legal technicality, they've ended up without a home, without a home country, without a place of belonging, a kind of lack of belonging that has stripped them of rights and state care. somewhere between 35 and 45 million people living in this way right now. We're drawing to mind The truth of so many people living with some kind of disease or chronic illness, curable and uncurable. Some of you might fit into that category. Maybe you know a colleague, a family member, a friend, who struggles with physical or mental health. This this is quite common. We don't need to go very far. And even if you don't know anyone, you can just reflect on, to use a, a, a Dharma-rooted term, the truth of this, the truth of illness, in the way it causes suffering in a human life. you might choose to bring to mind the many victims close and far from us of sexual violence. You might consider all of the individuals and families dealing with death. However near or far from dying we perceive ourselves to be, in this moment, There are many people taking their final breath. There are friends and family members standing or sitting around their chair or couch or bed where they sit or lie. It's likely that this dying person doesn't have the capacity for words anymore. And there's the silent shared waiting for this person to go to the other side. And in many cases, the confusion and stress and sadness and fear occupying the heart and mind and body of those people. Before I'm done with this short practice, that will have been true for roughly 6,100 people. By the time our day comes to a close this evening and we go to bed, that will Have been true for approximately one hundred and fifty one thousand people in just this one day. Perhaps acknowledging. the people subject to historical and present oppression. See if you can let your attention rest in a particular place or in a particular group of people who are likely to be experiencing some kind of suffering, whether it be um, from my examples or from an example that you have come up with or a memory that has been evoked by um, by the teachings that I'm sharing If you can let your attention rest on and become familiar with the reality of a particular group of folks. Just acknowledging the likelihood, even if we don't understand it in its entirely, letting yourself Touch into the likelihood of distress or um, even basic discomfort in the body. Any of the varieties of worry or fear that accompanies often these uh, very real hardships and in some cases, injustices that we as humans endure and uh, inflict on other people. And in doing so, we are exploring the first uh, category or level of this practice. We are uh, recognizing the presence of suffering. And in doing that, we are renouncing ignoring or repression. The phrase is, I see you, I see you. We are not turning away from this person or these people. I see you. And for some, uh, this notion of seeing or the words, Um, have a particular felt sense. So when we say, I see you, there's a subtext. I'm acknowledging you. I am acknowledging you. I'm not repressing, I'm not avoiding, I'm not turning away. So see if you can keep your attention focused on or resting on the people or person or group. This might include visual images, memories, feelings. You could have ideas about what is difficult or hard, about another situation. We don't always get that part right. Um, The idea here is that it's useful to allow yourself to imagine the difficulties of another person. Another meaning or implication of I see you is that I'm not going to avoid the truth of pain as a strategy to avoid how I feel in relationship to that pain. So in in summing up this category, this is the category of showing up. I see you. The second phrase is, I care about you. I see you and I care about you. The, attention, the intention beyond recognition now is to attend, we are attending to something. And that is to say that we are being curious and interested in the object of meditation, which is a particular group or person that is likely to experience pain or suffering. Again, this could be an image or a memory, an idea, however, on or off the mark. Of people likely to ex- be experiencing some kind of pain or distress or suffering. This includes an attitude of wanting to learn. The meaning or implication of I care about you is, I am curious about how and why you suffer. There's a lot of words here, but this is not an intellectual undertaking. What does it mean this seems to ask, what does it mean to be curious about how and why somebody suffers? So the ultimate intention here at level two is staying. As we connect more with the truth of pain and suffering of another, we hold the intention to stay. So in level one, we show up. I see you. and level two, we hold the intention to stay. I care about you. I see you. I care about you. I see you. I care about you. I see you. I care about you. I see you, I care about you. The last phrase corresponding with the third stage or level of practice is, I am here for you. I won't abandon or judge you. I am here for you. This has, like the other categories, both an intention and an implication. What is being intended is alleviation of pain. I am here for you, I won't abandon you,
1: is the heart's
0: expression for alleviation. The implication is that we hope that the pain is reduced or alleviated. This is the attitude of compassion coupled with the staying presence of mindfulness. I see you. I care about you. I am here for you. say that I am here for you does not mean that we're going to necessarily interject ourselves in some way. We may, uh, but not necessarily. This doesn't require, right now, that we come up with a strategy for fixing or resolving something. Rather, we are seeing if we can feel within ourselves a genuine wish or hope that another's pain is reduced or alleviated. abandon you because I need to stay here with this curiosity and interest to understand more about how and why you suffer. I see you. I care about you. I am here for you. Simply having an interest in another's welfare is being there for them. The radical choice to acknowledge another person's pain. We do have time for this. I see you, I care about you, I'm here for you. I hope that your pain is reduced or alleviated. and begin to let the phrases go. If you're reciting them, dropping the words. Aware of any attitude or Any uh, disinterest or interest could also just notice your level of engagement um, simply as an awareness practice, not. To rate or qualify or judge, just to notice: I'm very engaged, or, um, or there's some disengagement, either because of your energy level or because uh, simply your your relationship to the practice, how suitable or unsuitable it was. Or just that: how engaged. Uh, very important here to do it without judgment. I'm alert, connected to a felt sense of the body, connected to emotions. Or a bit more disengaged, maybe sleepy, maybe distracted. neither type of experience being any better or worse. The reason for that is what we are prioritizing is awareness itself. We are prioritizing awareness of the mind and body state. So we can just notice. And then you might come back to um, the whole body. What, is it, what does the body feel like now? Are there any particular sensations that stand out? Any, any discomfort or pain or... Um, Maybe a sense of ease or relaxation. Contraction. Restlessness. Now turning your attention to hearing, what do you hear both near and far?